Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast, season four, episode four. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle. I'm the author of the Ready for Polyamory book, now on Amazon, and the blog at readyforpolyamory.com. Today, we're going to continue our look at religion and polyamory, or polyamory and spirituality, and how those affect each other. Because of best laid plans of mice and men and all that jazz, this series has sort of simultaneously expanded and taken a bit of a turn, but to avoid making this the ready-to-talk-about-religion-and-polyamory-all-day-every-day podcast, I'm going to give you one more interview from this series today and circle back in a few weeks after we talk about some other things about polyamory for those of us who are less interested in religion and spirituality. So feel free to drop me an email at readyforpolyamory at gmail.com or an Instagram message at Ready for Polyamory, or a message at the blog if you've got thoughts on this series in the transpiring time between, um, because I got a lot after the last inter- uh, the last set of interviews, last episode, and um, I'm kind of overwhelmed by it, but really heartened. So this week's guest is a deacon in his church, and reached out to me interested in talking about how being Christian and polyamorous is theologically compatible, but sometimes logistically or sort of lifestyle complicated, because even though he's in a progressive church, uh, the church that he's settled in as an adult has LGBTQ leadership and a progressive view on marriage equality, but they're just not ready to sort of discuss polyamory in public or for him to be out about all of his partners while serving in church leadership. And so as a result, uh, he has to be closeted at church and has chosen not to use his name in this interview. So uh, we've got a kind of interesting interview with this individual today, talking about the ways that Christian theology in and of itself doesn't need to be viewed as incompatible with polyamory, but that individual churches can make the choice to be um, biased or bigoted against particular styles of life and love and interactions with others and how he chooses to interact with people differently within his own church to encourage better theology and better views of Christianity uh, within the church where he's a leader. I think the content of this interview is really important. Um, There's a couple of places where the sound is occasionally a little bit crackly Uh, because of internet quality, uh, connection quality, and I think it is still sort of worth listening to anyway, but I apologize for the places where I couldn't perfectly smooth out his sound quality, Um, and I hope that you enjoy the interview anyway, because it's great content. Without further ado, here's that interview. So thank you for being with me today and being willing to talk with me about these quite personal subjects of your romantic life and your religious faith and your religious life. Uh, I really appreciate it. Can you give us a little bit of background on sort of the religious faith you were brought up in and the religious faith you hold now uh, and kind of what the journey from one to the other has been like in kind of the three, four sentence form? So, well, the journey's pretty much always been there. I was brought up in a in a Protestant Christian faith, um, and at a very early age, I started like researching other faiths. Like I went to other denominations of Christianity first, and I said, "Well, where are the differences? Where are the similarities?" And um, 
from there, I went to around the time I started high school, I started researching like other world religions. And that was a jump in and of itself. Uh, I researched uh, Islam, uh, Judaism, things of that nature. Um, Mormon was really interesting. Um, um, from there, I, I basically went into the spiritual realm of things. I, I've now found a, I found an interest in uh, Asatru. You had this ever-expanding sort of set of research and interests, and where did that mm -hmm. end up leading you? Uh, I'm still, I still claim Christianity. Um, I, I still believe in God. I still believe in my salvation through Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I'm open and I'm, you know, interested in other faiths. Um, I'm very, very open. I try not to like, and it, it's very easy for me since I have researched other faiths, just to try and be accepting of other cultures and accepting of other religions. So. And so do you think that had any effect on how it was that you found yourself coming to a non-monogamous uh, style of relating in romantic relationships, or do you think that they were unconnected? They've kind of parallel throughout my entire life. And it, it was is only until recently that they've actually converged and decided to like show themselves in a different light. Um, I was thinking about this after I became polyamorous. I was thinking about like, so where did this thing start in my mind? Um, and the earliest memory that I have is going to like preschool, kindergarten and coming home that first day. My mom would always ask the same question every year. It was like, who's your girlfriend this year? <laughs> and I would, I, and being a kid, you know, you don't necessarily have a girlfriend, but at the same time, it's, it's cute that when you, somebody starts spouting off names, you know, and that was what I did. I just started spouting off names of kid, of girls that I liked, you know? Well, right. It's like the silliest kind of mononormative, heteronormative programming that our parents, when we come home are like, well, who are we going to pair you off with? Right. Right. And then they're like, the gays need to stop putting their lifestyles in our faces. <laughs> no, mom, you need to stop putting your straightness in our faces. Um, exactly. These have been political rants with Laura. Um, <laughs> but so since you do still have a Christian faith, do you participate in like active religious life now as an adult? Or is this something that sort of you left by the wayside through all of this research and experimentation in your young adulthood? Uh, no, I was actually in throughout my like young adulthood, I've, I've been an on again, off again, regular church goer. Um, but never wavered in my faith, really. Um, I always like practiced. I always, you know, had, I always believed in God. I always prayed. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it's because of that on, on again, off again relationship with the church itself that I was, I was able to like branch off and go do different things. So it, it's, it, it's been a really interesting relationship, but now I've, I've, I find myself, you know, because of the polyamory, I've, I've had to like stay closeted um, inside the church uh, because of the, the non-acceptance. Right. So when we initially talked about 
having this discussion, you'd mentioned that you're from a, or you're currently involved with a pretty accepting church of a lot of lifestyles. Like you're with a pretty progressive church that are good with a lot of LGBTQ issues and things like this, but right, right. that you still feel like polyamory is the like sort of bridge too far that they're not ready to cross with you. They're, they're not ready for that discussion yet. Um, it's, it's still the, the hetero monogamous narrative throughout that runs throughout the entire Christian church. And, uh, that's really pretty unfortunate. Do you, do you find that that closetedness affects your partner selection within your polyamorous relationships and within your romantic life? So you sent me the list of questions beforehand and I had to like sit back and laugh at this question only because <laughs> my partner selection is not exclusive. I have a partner that is, that is Norse, that is Norse, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the term, Norse pagan. Mm -hmm. um, I have a partner that's Norse pagan. I have a partner that is agnostic. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't, we don't go into those discussions unless we're prepared to do so, if you get what I mean. Well, right. I mean, I didn't necessarily mean that religion would be the defining factor, but for example, my Sunday school teacher growing up, my catechism teacher was mm -hmm. an older Catholic man who his second wife, after his first wife died, he remarried a devout Baptist woman. And one of the ways that they engaged with each other was that they would fight about religion on Sunday nights. And it was like, that sounds like my, hobbies. that sounds like my early relationship with my wife, to be honest. Right. It was like one of their hobbies was they were both really passionate about the interpretation of scripture and they'd argue with right. each other about it on Sunday nights. And like, it was almost a love language for the two of them to like, argue about this and i can see that older folks who were remarrying after they'd both had kids and with no intention to do so further they saw no sort of conflict between their separate religions insistence that if they were marrying to have children they should marry within their faith and the idea that they loved someone who was outside their faith so you know uh, there are lots of potential conflicts in a lot of religions around these things, but there are also lots of ways to not have conflict. There are also people who are like, well, I could be with anyone who's a believer in anything, but someone who doesn't believe I might not. And there's also people who are like, no, no, the religion isn't a factor, but because I'm closeted, there's lots of people who won't be with me. Okay. Like, I can see where you're going. Uh, I, I try, dynamic. I try not to, I, yeah, exactly. I try not to like limit myself to who, you know, who I take on as a partner right now, recently, I, I'm not, I'm not actively seeking out more partners. I'm pretty mm -hmm. happy with the polycule that I have now. So. Right. So it's not currently an issue. Right. <laughs> and like, I guess in general around this sort of closetedness issue do you think it's just something that ends up affecting you within that church environment or is it something that sort of spreads out into the rest of your life is it an issue of like 
I mean, I guess answering that sort of tells whether any of the follow-ups matter. Is it something that only affects you at church or is it something that because it will affect you at church, it then affects the rest of your life because church is a part of your life? I have this innate fear that somebody like either at work or somebody in my friend group is just going to get completely annoyed with the fact that I'm polyamorous. So I have a very close selection of friends and family that know, but other than that, I stay pretty closeted. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it kind of varies where people are in their lives and sort of how open they, or open is the wrong word, how ostentatious they'd be about a romantic relationship anyway, mm-hmm. how yeah. much that matters. Um, but I know for some people it ends up being kind of a big issue whether or not they're out about these things. And for other people, yeah. it's just not a big deal because, like, they wouldn't be that over the top about one relationship anyway. Or, like, right. well, I've got the one public facing relationship. How many others do I need to shout about on Facebook? Exactly. Um, do you think there are any sort of cultural norms that? you had to work through in the process of kind of coming to polyamory and adjusting yourself to a non-monogamous sort of view of the world that were affected by the worldview that you had because of the faith you were brought up in? Or do you think that you in particular didn't have that? And I think... mm, my guess at what you're going to say is colored by the way you described your journey in your religious faith. Uh, and it's not what I expected before we'd talked. Um, so I, I did have to have like this discussion with myself about, you know, exactly what it was that this would mean and what it was that exactly I was doing, you know, with this with, with polyamory and, And I had to look through several different lenses and cultural and religion and all of those were different lenses I had to look through. And I had to have a discussion with myself and I had to say, look, I said, there's going to be some backlash on this. Are you prepared for it? And are you like, like, are you prepared to have those discussions with other people? You know what I mean? Yeah, I found that for me personally, after I'd reconciled all the stuff for myself, well, all the stuff that's (laughs) not done. Um, But after I'd reconciled the big issues for myself, it was just a matter of going, okay, am I ready to talk the big issues out with other people over and over again? Because the world relitigates them with you, right? Right. So the big sort of religious questions I ended up sort of litigating with myself really early the way I ended up doing it was a process that ended up kind of dismantling my religious faith but I know for many people it doesn't for me the process of sort of getting through that peeled away the faith part of things and left me with a really interesting mythology uh left behind and I'm interested to hear sort of your take on the compatibility of the tenets of polyamory with how we're supposed to treat relationships from a 
kind of generally Christian point of view, because certainly with Christianity having fed a lot of our overarching cultural narrative and a lot of polyamory authorities placing themselves in opposition to the cultural narratives, right. I'd be interested to hear how you sort of put it back together. So you you really hit on something when you said compatibility. That was the word that resonated in my mind. Um, so I'm going to speak to that. Um, I, I had to, I had to do some, some, some Bible reading and that was, that was hard for me to do, to go back into the text and just say, okay, where does this line up? Where does this not line up? And I started reading some articles that, that people had brought out about Christianity and polyamory and the compatibility between the two. And one of the funnier things that I read was that the Old Testament, the Jewish laws in the Pentateuch, the first five books, you know, if you look at it, there's no law that says, you, you know, you cannot have multiple relationships. You cannot have multiple marriages. Okay. No, right. I mean, and there's even, there's even laws. Exactly. There's even laws that tell you how to do it. So if there's laws that tell you how to do it, why would the Bible be against it? Mm-hmm. So that was number one. And that was, that was one of the more funnier like anecdotes that I read about. Uh, the other one was into the text. Uh, and, and this is a new Testament, uh, new Testament uh, example uh, in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they sat together and they asked him, what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, you know, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't talk about power when you talk about read that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, Jesus's ministry was based upon love, and it was it was completely based upon the fact that you know you needed to love everybody as you love yourself. That's the greatest love that you have is the love for yourself, regardless of whether you want to admit it or not. You, you always are looking out for yourself. You're always looking out for number one. And, you know, if you can love other people the same way that you love yourself, that's the greatest, like, following of Jesus that you can do. And so I, I basically built my, and you, you said it really good, that this new mythology that we've created for ourselves, um, we basically, I basically built mine upon that same concept of loving one another. And polyamory is an example of that. So that's where I placed it. So what I'm hearing is essentially that you've sort of deconstructed and reconstructed your Christianity on the basis of just the commandments and gone, look, all we're doing is living according to the literal teachings of Christianity, which don't necessarily include all of the following layers that were added by church fathers that are heavily patriarchal. Strip away all of the doctrines, strip away all of the man-made constructs, and you have that those two commandments. Love God, love other people. And like, look, if there were churches that were, that appeared to be operating that way in good faith, I might be more likely to remain in belief for more of my life um that was the hedgiest thing i've said in weeks guys (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
So I was amazed to find out when I was researching polyamory at first that there is actually a church with a polyamory task force mm-hmm. and it's, it's Unitarian Universalism. Oh yeah. No, I and, so <laughs> some of my friends around here uh, ran the local UU church and they were, I think not the first polyamorous people I met when I moved down here. I lived in Canada for seven years and when I moved back here, so I definitely associate that church with polyamorous people a little sometimes. Yeah. Um, but in general, churches and polyamory, I kind of make this face. Yeah. <laughs> and for the audience, it's the like cringy teeth face. Uh, sight gags now available on every episode of this <laughs> podcast. You know, I think honestly, whenever you do your sight gags, and, I've, and I'm a fan of the podcast, by the way, just so your listeners know, I've, I've listened to your podcast like excessively. And um, See, every, every time you mention a sight gag, every, every time you mention a sight gag, I'm like, take a screenshot, put it on the blog, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so anyway, in general, I think this idea of figuring out a framework no matter what kind of angle we're coming at it from to fit our goals for our lives in with the background that we come from is kind of the goal right so figuring out how to fit ourselves into the life that we're already in without completely upheaving ourselves is the ideal if we can't do it, then in general, we can find community and we can find polyamorous people who are willing to catch us, right? Much like the queer community, we're pretty good at catching people if they're completely falling right. out of their community, their families, their churches. But it's better when they can get a soft landing and figure out how to fit into the worldview that they're in. And it sounds like you've had a much better go of it than some people at making your worldview including your religious background fit pretty well has that worked out in terms of your family understanding where you're coming from so my reveals to the very limited number of family that i that know um on my side it's my mom and my brother my mom and my brother are the only ones that know Mm -hmm. um when i told my mom i didn't want her to tell anybody else um and she was okay with that and that the one thing that she said that really surprised me was I really don't care I just want you happy (laughs) so as a mom I will say that that would be my reaction to literally anything my child told me yeah I don't care Um, I want you happy are you safe yeah good it's 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 this this thing of my mom and I have had a very rocky relationship from beginning to now um but she was the one that raised me. She, she understands where I am, who I am and what I'm coming from. Um, but at the same time, it's that nervousness of, I want you to accept me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was heavy, heavy going in. Yeah. I believe it. It is not always easy to tell your folks where you're at, right? Like I wasn't out to my family for 
seven and a half years. Okay, so here we actually went on a kind of long tangent about um, some topics that were really interesting, but had a lot of um, personal uh, identifying information that I don't think uh, he wanted included in the podcast. Um, but the stuff that was relevant to the topic at hand was about sort of building chosen family and integrating people into your community and how it is that polycules can support each other in terms of building families in non-traditional manners and the ways that in general people used to mostly find that in religious organizations and larger town structures used to be built around that and that was a more like traditional way of building towns and communities and now those communities are built in more varied ways although some people still find that in their religious institutions and for him he's found that in sort of a two-pronged way both through his religious community and through his personal community and his polycule um, and his polycule is looking forward to expanding their family uh, sometime in the next couple of years and generally sort of integrating their lives to a greater degree and he's looking at what it's going to look like uh, in the longer term to include uh, his larger community in that and whether or not that's going to be a kind of feasible inclusion with the spiritual life that he's got going on. In general, uh, what do you think about the ways that Christian teachings about love being abundant and sort of taking care of your neighbors, how that relates to polyamorous and relationship anarchist looks at uh, non-traditional community and uh, queer platonic relationships and kind of uh, also abundant love, uh, building community kind of philosophies. Do you think that those are pretty compatible ways of looking at the world? Is that part of how you've structured your polyamory? You've mentioned different partners of yours and of your spouses. Are there, is that a part of your philosophy? I want to say it is. Um, you mentioned non-traditional community, and I think that's pretty much a misnomer because back in the old times, you know, everybody used to combine resources and everybody used to combine, you know, things of how to do things. And, you know, um, and I think that that works for polyamory only because, exactly, there you go. It's sort of meta-traditional. Um, <laughs> Are we allowed to say um, so meta now I, I that Zuckerberg think, is changing the word for Facebook to meta? Oh my God, don't even get me started. <laughs> so, jeez, um, you, you threw me off track. Anyway, uh, these, these uh, traditional communities, more traditional communities, uh, I think the, the polyamory adds just, it, it's the same, except you just add an extra tangent. You add an extra element to that with the romanticism and the, uh, and the, the, the relationship aspect of it. Well, right. So in the fact that polyamory says you can be romantically entangled, but you don't have to be, if you want, you can sort of add a relationship anarchist twist and say, we can be good friends or we can have these 
metamorph relationships where people are heavily entwined but aren't necessarily romantic those sorts of mm, community relationships that aren't necessarily romantic also have value that can be equal i think right. is a philosophical position that is very compatible with the kind of I've used philosophical too many times. Um, <laughs> I guess in your case, religious background that mm -hmm. you came from, the sort of spiritual underpinning of how you think about the world. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't want to totally put words in your mouth, but I would like to put some <laughs> words in your mouth, you know? That's what we're here for. And that's perfectly fine as long as, as you put the right words there. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, I think it's totally compatible if you go and look at the bare bones of Christianity and you go and look at the bare bones of Christ's teachings without all of the doctrine and all of the man-made construct. You know, it's, it, it's, it's to me, it's compatible and it's, and it's no nonsense. I want to thank our guest today for being with us and being willing to talk to me about all of these kind of difficult and intimate subjects. Basically, the idea or this way of examining it where uh, he's willing to kind of cast aside some of these doctrinal and dogmatic ways of looking at Christianity is a way of looking at it, a lens that I think a lot of the people who uh, remain people of faith while being polyamorous tend to take from the messages that I've received from people uh, following the first episode. Uh, that seems to be the case. And it's one that I personally haven't been able to sort of reconcile myself to as somebody who was raised in a Christian mindset, um, but who really over the years kind of had to distance myself from that to uh, reconcile my upbringing with the sort of person I want to be as an adult and the life I want to live as an adult. And I really appreciate somebody who's firm in their convictions coming on to share their perspective with us. Like I said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to circle back to this topic and we're going to have a couple of interviews with people of uh, different faiths and of uh, particularly non-belief in a sort of strict way, like a strictly atheist perspective, to talk about uh, this topic a little bit further, because I've gotten a lot of responses about this following the first episode uh, on religion and spirituality releasing. And I think it's really interesting. I just don't want to turn this into the spirituality podcast instead of the Ready for Polyamory podcast. Next week, we're going to be back uh, with specifically an episode about couples privilege, in the meantime, uh, I'm on TikTok a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> I've just started my profile there and apparently I'm enjoying making tiny videos. Who would have thought someone with ADHD really enjoys short things in video formats? Um, I am rolling my eyes at myself because as someone who is uh, in my head too old for TikTok, I shouldn't be having this much fun, but I'm having a ton of fun, guys. Uh, follow me on there. It's at ready for polyamory. Um, or you can, of course, follow us on Instagram, also at Ready for Polyamory. You can join our group on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash Ready for Polyamory. Or, of course, find uh, our posts at the blog. Uh, we're putting up a couple of them a week 
or any of our previous content. Um, and in general, I hope all of you guys have a great week and I'll be back with more posts. Uh, the updated version of the season four, episode two, which had some sound errors, is going to be up later this afternoon as well. So uh, do give that a listen if you're one of the people who had been not listening to it because of the sound errors. And of course, the Ready for Polyamory book is available in paperback or Kindle on Amazon. Um, and you can find the link in the show notes. If you're interested in uh, peer support or coaching, the links are available in the show notes as well. And I hope you all have a great week. I'll see you on the flip side. <laughs>